Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burks, here as always with my fellow A to Z sports compatriot, Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast, and if you want to catch us on the regular, make sure you go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. And subscribe. If you subscribe, you won't miss an episode. Plus, you get all the other content that uh, is over there on the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. And uh, make sure you, you rate and review and everything else over there. If you do, stop by at Charlie underscore Burris on Twitter, at, a to Z, or, uh, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports on Twitter and Instagram, A to Z Sports.com. And, uh, oh, at Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville. I think that's all the homework we got to do to lead this one off. Zach! Tennessee beats Vandy. But is that really the news uh, this week? We're going to talk about everything because there's sort of implications for Tennessee all over the place in just the world of college football at the moment. But I guess we got to start Tennessee 45, Vandy 21. I want to say, did I nearly hit this one on the head, I think? You were very close. You had 48 to 21, so you got ah. Vandy's score. I mean, you were right there at it. Missed it by three points because I, I did say, I, I just sort of thought, I was like, Vandy, you know, they got this other quarterback that's not getting seals. He's been playing a little bit better. They still stink out loud. And so Tennessee uh, d- had about the most boring college football game that I've watched all year, but it was a Tennessee win. And that's really what counts. Um, and, uh, Tendon hooker went down, but it's, uh, with injury, but supposedly it's not anything serious from what I saw. The well, you know, <laughs> as much as we know of what happened there. Um, and so on the whole bowl game is your next game up. Let's talk about it. Zach. What's up, man? Yeah, it's, it's kind of nice to have a couple of boring games to end the year for Tennessee like it used to be. I mean, the South Alabama game was a snoozer. Tennessee blew them out. That Vandy game was really just – it was almost a struggle to get through because the game was never close. It was never really interesting. Tennessee just kind of took care of business. The crowd was kind of low energy. Uh, not a lot of fans there for the, for the regular season finale, home finale, which was kind of surprising for senior night the way that – Tennessee performed this year. I thought it would have been a bigger crowd, but either way, you could, you could tell on television it just wasn't a ton of energy in the crowd. But, you know, to Josh Heupel's credit, he still made it a point to come out and thank the fans, unlike uh, kind of what Nick Saban, the rant we saw from him this week, some things we saw from Jeremy Pruitt in the past where he kind of chewed out fans. It's nice that 
Hypo knows that's not going to get him anywhere. You can't chew out the fans and expect the fans to be like, oh, yeah, you're right. We're going to show up in droves next weekend. <laughs> I mean, you you got to lead them there. It's that you show appreciation and it's reciprocated eventually, and, and that's, that's the right approach. So Saban was right. Let's be honest. Alabama fans are spoiled beyond belief. I mean, it's just it's the greatest college football dynasty that we've ever. This is probably ever. It's probably the best ever. Let's be totally honest. I mean, he is the the greatest uh, active coach, but probably very arguably the greatest coach ever. Like they are mm-hmm. living in the golden age, and they don't. There's so many Alabama fans that don't realize it. And I mean, it's not even the golden age. Like that doesn't even capture how good things have been. For Alabama, it's the platinum age. It is the greatest, again, the, I mean, the greatest college football run of all time. And so he is right. <laughs> they take that thing for granted so much. Because Tennessee fans, we're down here toiling, being like, what if we won nine games? That would be amazing. Seven wins in the first year of coach. Oh, my gosh. And Alabama's like, oh, we we, we got played close. But we almost lost to Auburn. <laughs> Shut up. You have, you petulant children. He is right, but <laughs> he's Nick Saban. That's that's the yeah. difference. If you are Josh Heupel, you cannot say anything like that. And I don't think that Josh Heupel even wants to say anything like that. I think he's appreciative for whatever support he gets at the moment. But uh, yeah, it's Saban. Yeah, ring him out. I don't care. The Alabama fans need to hear it and whatever. But uh, beyond that, uh. I was surprised that the crowd was a little bit smaller. It was just a low-energy game kind of all the way around, but it is what it is. You win big. That game went almost exactly how I thought it would. I guess the, the only thing that I think could have gone different is Tennessee scores 65 points. That, that's about the only other thing that I think could have happened. Vandy did a good job of dragging out. I mean, what was that uh, that one drive? It was 20, 20 plays, 12 minutes, just... Uh, oh, that was a tough, tough... Uh, watch but we got to it tennessee wins yeah i didn't mind it so much just because it made the game go by a lot faster instead of a four and a half hour long game it was right at three hours or maybe just over three hours which is nice because that that really doesn't happen anymore in college football i guess the really the only uh negative from that game i would say is maybe allowing that hail mary before halftime mm, yeah uh, and i think it was Jalen mccullough that was there on the goal line that was kind of to the right beside the Vandy receiver. I'm just wondering what he was doing. Get on the goal line, get in front of your guy, bat it it down. I mean, they just kind of left it wide open there. And you could tell at halftime Josh Heupel was not – he wasn't happy with that. He really wasn't happy with uh, not really rushing the quarterback there. I mean, you had three guys that just kind of dropped back and didn't really get after and put any pressure on the Vanderbilt quarterback. So – that really allowed him time to, to get the ball down there. I, I didn't think they had a chance. I was surprised that they left, put a city on the clock. I didn't think anything about it. No, I, I, I had walked away to do the halftime show. I had been like, okay, the half's over. They're not going to do anything. And then I sit down with Crompton to do our halftime show. And he was like, oh, they, that, there was Hail Mary. And I was like, what? No, there wasn't. Oh, he I, had to change the graphic there a little I behind did. the scenes. <laughs> I was like, damn you, Vandy. Now I have to redo the whole thing. That really did happen. Me and him had that conversation just in, in that moment. Uh, but on the whole, y- y- defense played generally well, even though you kind of had some of these plotting drives that did work for Vandy. Whatever, man. It, 
I just there's not a whole ton that I'm going to take away from this game because at this point, obviously, you got a month before the bowl game. Probably assuming you're in something like uh, Music City, Tax Slayer, Mayo Bowl, which are all going to be around New Year's. So you got about a month, uh, if not a little bit more. And from from here, you got a chance to get everybody as healthy as, as possible playing that game to sort through if there's going to be anybody that sits out of the bowl game. I feel like that probably won't happen for Tennessee. Uh, um, I could see Cade Mays not playing. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, he, he's kind of been beat up. He, he's not coming back. He went through the senior day stuff. I, I could see him not playing. And then possibly, you know, you get into some portal stuff because I think guys are going to start hitting the portal yeah, well, we've already seen across college football. They've started hitting today. I think I think we're going to see some Tennessee guys. Fans should not be alarmed when that happens. There's going to be a few Tennessee guys hit the portal. It's it's going to happen. It's inevitable. I think it's going to be some guys that really didn't get a lot of playing time this year, and that that's a lot of why it's going to happen. And that that's pretty common across college football right now. You see these guys that are hitting the portal. Everybody wants to play immediately. There is no sit two years and wait your turn when your junior year comes up or you're a surprise sophomore that maybe contributes when no one expected it. You think you're going to walk right on campus and play now. And if you don't, you go somewhere else. It, I hate it. I, I love that players can transfer, but it's kind of become you know, a double-edged sword where it's opened up this whole Pandora's box of, of problems now that coaches have to navigate because the portal's open 24-7. You can go whenever. And it's kind of hard to manage your roster when you don't know who's going to be there kind of on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, I love it on one hand because it does, it flattens out the playing field at least a little bit because every coach across the board has to deal with, you know, if if a player who's pretty good isn't getting the playing time that he wants, he's going to hit the portal and another team is going to get a chance with this kid to use him in the way that he would like to be used. And that's great, but it does create sometimes these I guess you call them like a flash flood where Tennessee has a mass exodus last year with all their players and it just decimates the program and Josh Heupel did a great job of salvaging the place but still you lose 30 players it's going to be a tough time uh, anytime that happens so uh, and hopefully to Tennessee's advantage we're going to talk about that in just a minute but um on, on the whole, I think you're exactly right. You probably are going to see some guys move along, but it's probably not going to be guys uh, that were big impact players. Uh, we, I mean, maybe there'll be a couple of surprises. Cade Mays is interesting. I get it. He's injury prone and probably wants to move to the league as quickly as possible. Although at the same time, do you? I mean, do you see him at a draft level? I when he plays, sure, but he doesn't play. He played what? I mean, he played what? Very sparingly this season, relative to what? <laughs> what you? I don't owe. think it didn't feel like he made it through a whole game. Almost never, and and same with his brother too. I mean, I think Cooper Cato. was a little more durable, but. Yeah, I think Cade will latch onto a roster just because of his potential, and I think you'll see, I think you'll see some NFL teams like, hey, the Chiefs got lucky with that Trey Smith guy. You know, here's another Tennessee native that went to Tennessee. That well, Trey Smith delivered on the hype. He had he had some medical issues that are out of his control, but he he delivered on the hype. He was dominant when he played, and for the most part, he didn't miss much time. 
you know, maybe they see the same thing with Cade. Like, yeah, he just had some bad luck, but the talent's still there. I, I think somebody will take a chance. Does he get drafted? I mean, that's hard to say. I mean, we've seen a lot of great Tennessee players. Tyler Bray, extremely talented, that you know, went undrafted. And I would stay another year, but like you said, he's injury prone. Maybe he thinks that he goes to not even like making a roster if he stays another year. I thought he might stay just just to play with his brother one more just year. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, they didn't really get much in 2020. It was a weird year. The fans weren't there. I mean, they really had one year, and both of them weren't on the field together that often. I mean, I know they've got the whole experience of the practices and, and the camaraderie of being together and team meetings and all that, you know, a year of that. But you would think that maybe they would want another year of that, but I guess not. I would say he is he's the closest – to me flat out saying go now go get your money if you can uh out of everybody else that's borderline like hooker and guys like that i really look at them and i go if you stay you will get exponentially higher uh on on a draft board in the eyes of nfl scouts you could really especially cedric tillman oh man yeah i mean i i think you're you're talking one of the top receivers in the draft if he if he produces continuously like he did this season all through next season too yeah i mean he's gonna be one of the top guys in i mean uh, in college football so i think sometimes uh tennessee fans and myself included in that you you kind of look at these players through a tennessee lens and you see how great tillman did this year and it was unexpected and i think he's had over 900 receiving yards he's played excellent but when you compare him to the other top receivers or other guys in college football that are, that are going to go higher than him in the draft, Tillman's probably, you know, he, he's a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick at best, I would say right now. You come back, maybe you're in the, you know, top two or three rounds. And same goes for Hooker. I think Mel Kuyper had him at number eight on his draft board. The number eight quarterback overall, what is that like? fifth sixth round maybe yeah that'd be pretty late if drafted at all yeah Yeah. in that position and hooker he was good i mean but some of this like heisman talk from fans on twitter he's nowhere close to the heisman he's not bryce young i mean you watch bryce young i watched him in that auburn game bryce young's got better all year you can look at bryce young and tell that guy was the top recruit in the nation hooker's been great but he hasn't just blown he's not gonna be the guy that's blown scouts away. Like, I got to have that guy, you know. And maybe after another year, he can be. Who knows? By yards alone, Cedric Tillman is the 41st wide receiver in America at 931. Your leading wide receiver was Devin Tompkins from Utah State. 1,543 receiving yards. Uh, just for reference on where he's at. and I'd be yeah, interested to see what Tillman's 40 time is. It's not like he was a speedster blowing by guys with like Jalen Hyatt's speed. I mean, he just made – he made he's really great with contested catches and kind of getting open and, and finding the open spot in the field. Yeah, he, he's really – he reminds me more of a Juwan Jennings. He's not mm-hmm. blowing straight past you. He just works and gets to the ball. Um, and that's – honestly – I mean, you see Juwan is finally sort of coming into his own at the NFL level right now. Caught his second touchdown pass of his NFL career this weekend. Um, and that's exciting. But uh, I, I I do think he, Tillman, he has two years of eligibility left, actually. 
But I I think you come back for one more year and he's he's cooking with gas. Same with Hooker. Otherwise, eh, Cade Mays, I get it. It, it, it. Moving on, even even if I feel like he's I don't I don't know. It it just feels like he's just trying to kind of take advantage of the situation and just go, look, I don't know if it's going to get any better. I just got to go get my money. Fine. Fair enough. Got to make decisions best for you. So there is that. Uh, and otherwise, Alante Taylor, th- this isn't anyone that's borderline. He's, you know, shuffling out class wise. Um, Alante Jer- Taylor gone. Jerome Carvin is Jerome Carvin's coming back for another yes. year. Yes. Glad you mentioned today. that. That's huge. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I mean, y- your your offensive line, especially if Cade leaves, uh, is position you need as much power as you can get. That's great to to have him back. Um, but otherwise, I, I I think you look at this team. If, if Hooker comes back, you are at a baseline as good as you were this year. Um, I, I don't see any kind of significant drop off unless just some devastating transfers happen, which I don't. There's really no indication of that. Um, unless maybe Hypo leaves. Gosh, let's not hold on. <laughs> We're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, but uh, otherwise, you bring in some more transfers this season. I think you're you're looking from a seven and five season to just only going up roster wise, and that's exciting. That's nice. Yeah, I think I think uh, Tennessee's going to be a more attractive destination for portal kids. I mean, they they had pretty good luck last year uh, before anybody had even seen Hypo coach a game at Tennessee, getting Javante Payton, getting uh, Joe Milton, even though he didn't work out. He still was a talented kid that had been at Michigan. Jawan Mitchell didn't really work out from Texas, but still you were able to get that guy just based kind of on reputation alone, and it's something Heupel's talked about, those kids and those recruits were just going off words. They were going off what Heupel told them. There was nothing really there to back it up, and Heupel knew that. But he's backed up what he's preached or what what he's sold on the recruiting trail. He's backed that up this season. The offense has performed exactly like he talked about. They attacked. They ran fast. They put up a lot of points. So I think you'll see quite a few more kids interested in transferring to Tennessee and really the recruiting they're they're number 28 right now I've said I think I said on an earlier podcast if they can get to around like number 20 in the country with this class which is really his first real class because you got to think most of the 2021 class was signed pretty much the whole class was signed under Pruitt and you know so much uncertainty when all that happened and really up until the last few weeks, you've had this bowl band kind of hanging cloud hanging over the program, the NCAA investigation, which still isn't cleared up. I mean, that is still a factor in all of this deal with Heupel's recruiting. I don't know how much that's being talked about in the recruiting trail, but I'm sure it's in the back of the minds of recruits. Like, hey, what's the long-term implications here of this investigation? Who knows, you know, am I going to be there three years and all of a sudden we get hit with some postseason bans and, you know, what do I do type deal? If he can get to like number 20 in the nation with this class, which looks very possible, especially with some of these decommitments coming in from these programs, losing coaches like DeMario Tolan is committed to LSU. He's probably going to flip to either Florida State or Tennessee. That would be a big pickup. And there's some other guys like that. Number 20 in the country, that's 
pretty solid, I think, for for what he's dealing with right now. Yeah, I think you look at the style of his system that, of course, is sort of catered to making your your team better than they probably should be sort of using this quote unquote gimmick offense. Um, you know, it's, it's very, very simplified and easier to run um, than a, than a typical offense. And you just say, if you can get that level of player in this early and then you continue to win above your level, which is the goal, then you just, build on that and so you go maybe 20th class this year which even still even though it is his first real class quote unquote it is still sort of handicapped because he's behind the eight ball with so many of these guys we've talked about it in weeks past like yeah he hasn't grabbed many in-state recruits but a lot of the bulk of the in-state recruits were essentially taken before he ever got here and so it's not like he he had the ability to just easily make inroads with these kids, even though they're in state. I mean, that's easy to say. Oh, they're they're in Tennessee. Well, yeah, but Kirby Smart's been hitting this kid up for four years, and you just showed up. That's the difference. And so I I think on the whole, twenty ish. Now I obviously would hope fifteen would be great, but so would so would top five. You know, you got to think realistically here. Uh, twenty or above. And then this next class, I think you got to be holding it to, I mean, this is Tennessee. Let's talk top 10 and and go from there. And that's where Tennessee could really make moves with Hypel, I think, is when you plug in some really great players to this, uh, this system. Uh, but speaking of transfers that Tennessee could get into this recruiting class, you even had one just today, right, be- right before we came on, I think like an hour or so before we came on, Jameer Gibbs from uh, Georgia Tech, getting a lot of talk um, that he could come to Tennessee. Something I saw is that Tennessee is his most likely landing spot, although it is not a sure thing. Uh, And that would be a killer pickup. One of the best transfers that's going to be available uh, in this class. Any, any thoughts there on him and, and other guys that we we've seen, he's the one that sticks out. There may not be any currently, they're getting as much talk as he is between between the the player in Tennessee, but thoughts on Gibbs. Yeah, I mean Gibbs definitely is a guy that that, you know, he's kind of from close by. Tennessee's gonna need another veteran running back. Jalen Wright has looked great. I think Jabari Small is more of like a change of pace type guy. With Tyon Evans leaving, you really need another guy you can count on, and I think Gibbs would would kind of be that guy. Another guy's in the portal is Zach Evans uh, from TCU. Uh, Tennessee was pretty heavily involved with him whenever he was going. It was kind of a bizarre recruiting process, if I remember. He, I think he signed at Georgia, and then they let him out hmm. of his uh, letter, and then he ended up at TCU. It was kind of a strange situation. And then another interesting one is Kane Patterson at Clemson who is yeah. from, or he's not really from, I guess he played high school football in Nashville. I think he moved there maybe at some point. I'm not, I don't think he's actually from Nashville. He's not getting a ton of reps at Clemson. I think he's kind of been more of a role player, but he's a talented kid. And that's kind of like that situation that you were talking about earlier where the portal kind of levels the playing field a bit because you have a guy like that, goes to Clemson, doesn't really get the playing time that he wanted you know, maybe he goes somewhere like Tennessee where he can play 
see plenty of action on the field and not, you know, ride the bench at Clemson for most of his career. How, I mean, how could you get more of an attractive program right now than the, than hypels with this offense? When you're talking 80 plays a game, you're, if you play, if you are of the caliber of being in that first rotation, you're going to get the ball like a bunch. And that's essentially guaranteed. I mean, that's just, it's got to be huge to be able to sell to a kid like, hey, we run so many plays that we're going to be coming to you. Because you just look at like the distribution uh, of plays when everybody was playing, it was not just Valus. Like, I mean, with Pruitt, it was like, Jawan or the offense didn't move. And and with Hypel, it's it's Valus. It's Javante Payton. It's Jalen High. It's all of these. And then obviously you look at the running backs. Uh Jalen, Jalen Wright had a huge game against Vandy. So did Jabari Small. Like he loves to spread the wealth around. You produce a ton of yards and a ton of points, and you're gonna get your shot uh if you come to Tennessee. I think it's a it's a great setup for anybody like that. Um and we need to send this podcast to some recruits so that they hear it. And <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, Hypel. It did, there were pictures coming out of Hypel and his crew uh, in uh, at at home visits with some guys in the last couple of days. So that's good. Obviously, their priorities are in the right place right now. Uh, they know they got to get dudes in the door. Uh, so that's really that. With any any parting thoughts before we get into. I would say the bulk uh, of of this show with this crazy coaching carousel, but uh, parting thoughts, Vandy game transfers, anything else uh, you wanted to cover on that, Zach? Yeah, I would ju- I would just tell fans to to not be too concerned if you see a couple of young guys hit the portal. Uh, it's a similar situation where they're going to want to see more playing time. I mean, obviously you've already seen a few with Harrison Bailey uh, and some others. I think you'll see maybe like a like a Jimmy Callaway or, or Holiday, somebody like that, maybe that hits the portal that, that wants to see more time because they really didn't see a lot of action this year. Don't freak out. There's going to be roster turnover. Uh, there's going to be new guys coming in. Probably have a, a different look to the team in some regards next season. But kind of like you said, as long as Hendon Hooker comes back, I wouldn't be shocked if Tennessee's ranked as a top 25 team entering the 2022 season, depending on how this bowl game goes. I hope so that it would be nice to just be in the conversation again. It's, it is virtually meaningless when you really think about it, but mm-hmm. just the visual is nice. <laughs> you know? Eight and um, five looks good. It does. It, it is better than nothing. And that's what Tennessee has been having. So uh, now let's get, to the coaching carousel, speaking of Josh Heupel and anything else that might be happening with him, uh, Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley have parted ways. Uh, it was not Oklahoma's decision, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> Lincoln Riley hopping town to go to Southern Cal. And this, this situation is so nuts. This guy has been there for years and has somehow basically kiffened Oklahoma. Because first of all, they didn't see it coming. So I think it feels sort of similar. Like, I I don't think that Oklahoma was expecting this because he goes into the press conference after they lose to Oklahoma State and goes, I definitely will not be the coach at LSU. Like, Riley, he wasn't lying. He wasn't no. lying. He didn't go to LSU. Uh, the very next day, 
the announcement comes out that he is going to USC. Doesn't even seem real. Seems totally surreal. Today he's he's there in a USC shirt on the private plane, getting his his claps on the runway in Los Angeles. And I I was stunned. And then he goes and every single five star recruit they have decommits from Oklahoma immediately. And I would bet a few of them are going to USC with him. Uh, also, he's taking a big chunk of his staff with him to USC and just cleaning the place out. And I would be lying if I said that I was not cackling like a hyena. This is karma just catching up. I'm sorry, Oklahoma, that this has happened to you, uh, but I'm not because here's the deal. Tennessee crumbles to the ground last year. And of course, already Oklahoma, suddenly they, they take half of the players that leave Tennessee. Oh, they, they all want to go to Oklahoma? Really? It's just a coincidence. Everybody wants to go to Oklahoma. Really? Really? Lincoln Riley not tampering with anybody. Wasn't talking to anybody before Jeremy Pruitt got fired. No way. No way. They, they just all wanted to go to Oklahoma. Oh, so they can clear out Tennessee, and then we're supposed to feel sorry for Oklahoma. All their fans are absolutely melting down right now, and I am loving it. it this is today has been hilarious. They they are just beside themselves, thinking, "How could this happen? This Oklahoma, we played in the playoff. We only lost to Alabama by twenty in the playoff two years ago. How could this be?" Shut up. Nobody cares. Nobody feels sorry for you. This is college football, and you're about to enter the SEC. So, uh, welcome. Your your thoughts, Zach? On, uh, on I got I got a lot. I got a lot of thoughts on this. I apologize, but uh, what were your impressions of Lincoln Riley fleeing Norman? Yeah, I was pretty surprised, like everybody else. I mean, LSU. You know, you heard those rumors, and I never really thought that he was going to go to LSU, just because. He seemed embedded at Oklahoma. I mean, for a long time, the consensus has been, if he leaves, it will be for the NFL. So when he said on Saturday night, I'm not going to be the next head coach at LSU, I mean, like you said, he wasn't lying. I believed him because everybody's aware of how that went for Nick Saban and how that soundbite followed him around forever when he was at Miami or has followed him around. I was kind of blindsided. I did not think he would go to USC. He was never really seriously in the mix until to be honest we really didn't hear a lot about usc search this whole time then that report came out yesterday i think you texted it to me and then it's like no no way and then it, it kind of happened pretty quickly after that first off i agree that it's hilarious that this is happening to oklahoma however it is unfortunate that the person behind all of that, Lincoln Riley, which now makes a lot of sense, kind of the way he's doing Oklahoma as he's going out the door. Yeah, I'm betting he was definitely – I mean, we already assumed he was tampering, but I think this confirms that he was tampering with Tennessee's recruits. I mean, you get three guys. I think we learned a lot about Lincoln Riley's personality or, or, or as a person these past 24 hours. He's he ruthless, and he is – He's afraid of competition. I mean, let's let's not beat around the bush. I mean, he's he's afraid of the SEC. And I don't LSU's the better job. It's by far the better job. And he ran from the SEC 
at, from LSU and from Oklahoma. What has surprised me the most, probably, I guess I should have expected this, but it has surprised me in the national media, of course, our favorite people as, as Tennessee fans, um, the cope with these guys, with Lincoln Right, like I said, I actually have it pulled up here. Tweets like this. This is from some guy named Parker Thune. I don't know who this is. It's some, let's see. Okay, he's not, he is just in Norman. He's a reporter in Norman, so he's local to Norman. This isn't a national guy. But still, just this kind of take. There's been a lot of this today. He, this guy says, Lincoln Riley looked a lot of recruits in the eye this past year and told them he wasn't going anywhere, that he was the Sooners head coach for the long haul. Those kids took him at his word and are hurting today. Some I spoke to were in tears. This sucks the most for them. Um, Yeah. But is this like the first time that this has ever happened? That does suck. And every single time it happens, it's super crappy. And shame on the coaches that do that. But are we... People are acting like this is the first time we've ever seen this happen. Where we're like, I saw who was it? Uh, Albert Breer, the the NFL reporter. I <laughs> I quote tweeted something that he said. He was just like, "Never have we ever seen a program get nuked in this way." What? Never, never. We this here it is. Here's exactly what he said. I can't remember a college football program ever getting absolutely nuked the way Oklahoma has over the last twelve hours or so. So much torn to the ground. Is he an Oklahoma grad? What? Well, to to be fair to Albert, I don't know if you saw his follow up tweet, but he quote tweeted a Tennessee fan and he said, Over the last couple of hours, I've learned how aggressive Tennessee Twitter is. I'll stand down. You guys are right. Lane Kiffin leaving like he did in 2010 is in the conversation with this one. I love that this guy from the NFL Network jumps on Twitter, says something that has zero to do with Tennessee, draws the ire of Vol fans, and has to be like, you know what? I'm not fighting this battle. (laughs) You guys. He has learned a lesson that Dan Walken and uh, Stuart Mandel – Pete Thamel all these guys, they've yet to learn. Albert learned it in two hours. So good for Albert. If you're going to have hot takes about coaching searches, <laughs> you, better, first. you better come correct because <laughs> Tennessee fans will come for you. We have been through this ringer, boy. I, it was, I didn't see that. That's the first that, that I, I had not uh, seen that he said that. That is absolutely hilarious. Um. <laughs> I mean, we're just obviously this entire fan base deals with the PTSD of all the coaching searches that we've gone through and all of this hemming and hawing. Obviously, he is not the only person that has been giving these takes. Well, the the, uh, the PTSD is why this Josh Heupel chatter with the Oklahoma job coming open. I mean, oh, yeah, we're all feeling it. We've and this, talked this is what about we're about it. to talk about. Yeah, we've talked about it on Twitter for months. Uh, what happens if Lincoln Riley leaves? If Josh Heupel's doing great, not maybe not this year, maybe a couple of years down the road, is that his dream job? I mean, we're always looking at the worst case scenario with Dooley. It, it never really got to this, but there was always like, well, Virginia, Georgia, you know, if he does great, will he bolt for those places? Pruitt uh, or Butch Jones was Michigan. You know, he's going to go back home to Michigan. Uh, I do remember that being a thing at one point. Oh like yeah, he did. He got he got like a didn't he get like a raise? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, there was I think like that was talk. his first extension. 
yeah, talk of Michigan. And then with Pruitt, uh, Alabama. I mean, after the 2019 season, he kind of rallied, got us back believing. He Ugh. got his extension, and it's like, yeah, yeah. Nick Saban retires. They're going to come after Pruitt. So, yeah, this is nothing unusual. Ever since Lane Kiffin did what he did, it's always going to be this way. I don't care if uh, if Hype believes in another coach comes in. It's going to be the same thing. Uh, we, we can't help it. This is uh, ingrained in us after 2010. Yeah, there's no escaping this at, at this point. It's just burned into all of our brains. That's I'm sure everybody that is listening to this could confirm. When you saw the Lincoln Riley was leaving, the first thing you thought was not, oh my gosh, Lincoln Riley is leaving. The first thing you thought is, oh no, here we go. Mm-hmm. It's Josh Heupel. <laughs> Josh Heupel is their first call, and he is gone. And that was your first thought, because I know it was my first thought. Even and though, he, even re- realistically, you think you think it through all the way to the end. They have probably ten options before they get. I'm to not. Heupel. Well, that's the scary part. Is the more I see these reports, I'm not sure they do. You're seeing names True. like Brent, Brent Venables, who is you know was at Oklahoma under Bob Stoops, so there's a connection there. Longtime defensive coordinator has never taken the leap to become a head coach anywhere. He's been interviewed or he's been offered. He's always mentioned, never really seemed interested. Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss that was originally under Josh Heupel at UCF. Uh, he's a former Oklahoma student assistant, so there's a connection. But still, like that's the waters that they're kind of waiting in right now is – coordinators i mean i know it's worked out for him before with lincoln riley and bob stoops but you haven't seen a big name i mean i saw mike leach kind of thrown out there just kind of carelessly but i i don't think that's realistic that's kind of what's bothersome to me not that i think heifel's going to leave but it's not that crazy the the sort of wild card in all of this to me that can make the entire thing weird with Oklahoma and everybody else that might want that job or that Oklahoma thinks they could get for that job is Bob Stoops. First of all, he's going to be the interim coach for the bowl game. Uh, he's Barry Alvarezing the situation um, and, and taking back over, which is really strange to begin with. Like, why is, why was he the first call because you know what that means is that he had already been close in with the program. He was doing what Fulmer did the last few years and just he was probably hanging out at practice every day, hanging out in the facility every day, milling around, biding his time. And then now Riley leaves and he goes, ah, I'll, I'll, hey, I'm here. I'll take back over, you know, and I, I don't, I have no idea what his intentions are. If, he had to have known because that that oh, report for sure. came out so fast after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, th- this this was coming. I I do kind of get the feeling. I I wonder if it was a situation where uh, it, this was uh, it basically came down to the Oklahoma State game, where they said if we beat Oklahoma State and make it to the Big Twelve championship game, X is going to happen, mm, and if we yeah. lose. Riley's out of here. Makes sense. I, I do. I just. I think that that could have been the case, or this, or he had already informed Oklahoma, "Hey, 
no matter what happens, I'm out of here, but we'll announce it after. Yeah, I, I wonder if he said, we'll either announce it the day after the Oklahoma State game if we lose, or we'll announce it the day after the Big 12 championship game if we win, or the day after the playoff if they made it that far, or whatever. But he just makes it known, like, I'm out of here essentially after this because I don't want to deal with the SEC or whatever his motivation is there. Because um, Sto- just Stoops being involved, because specifically with Hypel, it brings in weirdness because him and Hypel have a str- reportedly have a strained relationship. Essentially, he was Stoops. Hypel was Stoops' offensive coordinator. What was really wrong with Oklahoma at the time was Oklahoma's defense, but Oklahoma's defensive coordinator at the time was Bob Stoops' brother. And so he fires Josh Heupel instead of his own brother and picks nepotism over a meritocracy. And Heupel reportedly has not spoken to Stoops since that day. And I I think part of, not just that he got fired and was kind of scapegoated instead of Bob's brother, which, because... You can understand that a little bit. Like family, it gets dicey. You know, if, if you're Josh Heupel, you're like, this isn't right, but I get it. I see what's happening here. Sure. I think the other element of this is the fact that reportedly, you know, Stoops, Bob Stoops really meddled in the offense a lot. Uh, he, he didn't really allow Heupel to run the system that he wanted to run. And that's part of why the offense didn't fare so well. And I think Heupel probably felt some frustration. Like, if you'd have just let me do it my way, the offense would have ran more efficiently. We wouldn't have had these issues. Then you bring in a guy like Lincoln Riley, who kind of ran a similar offense to what Heupel was wanting to do in the first place. I think that's part of what just has turned Heupel and Stoops kind of have them at odds with each other. You know, Stoops has said it's the hardest thing you ever had to do. It's hard to imagine them burying the hatchet within like two days and make because that's how long this is going to take. Oklahoma's not going to take long to make it higher. That's a lot to cover in like a day or two. Wounds like that that have lasted seven, almost seven years now, they don't heal overnight. So that's that's the biggest obstacle, I'd say. See, here here's my why I feel that Hypo won't leave, even though my initial feeling was, uh-oh, what if Hypo leaves? After you think it through, I personally, obviously, this could be a cold take in about, oh, two days. <laughs> but when you think it through, there's a bunch of different factors there. This Stoops thing is one. Will they be able to bury the hatchet if it came to that? I think you're exactly right. If they're already reaching for a Brent Venables, there's no way that they don't look at Josh Heupel and go like, ah, I mean, seven games in the first year at a major program that's in a giant rebuild. That's pretty good. Do you think he could come here and succeed? There's no way they don't look at Heupel and think that. There's no way. And so if it came to them approaching Heupel, you got to think about the Stoops angle. Does he want to bury the hatchet? Then beyond that, and I think this is the biggest thing, Danny White's his boy. And... White, Heupel is White's boy. They, you know, obviously they came to Tennessee together as sort of this duo. Danny White put his trust into Heupel. Heupel is doing well so far. White is definitely not going to want to give him up. White's kind of this aggressive shark AD that I think will fight for his guy, fight to keep his guy. And I think Heupel will probably have some sense of of loyalty 
He doesn't, at least he doesn't seem like a cut and run sort of dude would probably have at least some sense of loyalty to white. Now with all of that said money talks. And if Oklahoma comes correct and says, here's 7 million bucks or whatever, so much, which would be absurd. I think that would be a terrible move on Oklahoma's part because Hypo has not proved himself to that level yet. But, uh, you know, money talks and then maybe he does leave. But that is to me really the only situation that I could foresee him leaving is if Oklahoma just gets desperate and goes, please, here's we're backing up the Brinks truck. Just come home. Like that is the only way that I could see it going because I just think all of that combined weirdness with Stoops, loyalty to white. It's only his first year. And you kind of, you also have to accept if you leave in hypo situation, you have to accept that that will forever sort of be a mark on your resume. Uh, and, and, you know, if you're Kiffin, it ends up not ever mattering really, but not everybody is Lane Kiffin. And so all of that combined, I think the chances are overwhelmingly in Tennessee's favor that Heupel does not leave my initial feeling. I'm not sure how you take that analysis, but to me, when I really break down the situation, I, I don't think that Tennessee is going to be looking for a coach uh, in this coaching carousel. Just yeah. my two cents. There. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said there. And I would add to that that another element to this is, you know, outside of a few coaches, Nick Saban, maybe some coaches that, that fall up a few places like Jimbo where he's, you know, parlayed his success at Florida State into a job at Texas A&M. Most coaches get fired. You're hired, you're fired. I mean, 90% of the hires probably end up getting fired. I'm betting Josh Heupel's well aware of Scott Frost and what's happened at Nebraska. And at some point, it's going to go south. Uh, it went south with Philip Fulmer. It just took a long time. Ed Ogeron, you know, played at LSU. He got fired. It just tends to happen. I mean, Joker Phillips at Kentucky. The list goes on. What happens then? You know, where do you go from there? It's almost like a career killer. There's not much to gain there for Hypo. He's already been at Oklahoma. He spent a ton of time there as an assistant. He's went through a tough situation there where he got fired. What does he have to gain from going there, going to the to that program and trying to take over where Lincoln Riley left off, where he's had a lot of success, you know, taking over for Bob Stoops, that team's all almost always in the playoff picture. It just seems like career suicide to try to do something like that. And, and like you said too, the reputation, it hasn't, it hasn't impacted Kiffin greatly, but it's still brought up all the time. I mean, he still kind of has that stigma attached to him of this is the guy that deserted Tennessee after one year. Um, and if uh, Heupel does it to Tennessee again, uh, it's just going to make it that much worse for him. I think the the hatred for Hypo if he was to do that would be. I mean, it would be on the Kiffin level. I think. Yeah, and, he, and he's got to stay in the SEC if you take that job. Uh, I mean, I think he would succeed there. I do if he was willing to take a heel turn. Um, I do think he would succeed at Oklahoma ultimately, even though. It is a giant risk, as you're saying, 
there and could be a permanent mark on your record and Tennessee fans will hate you with the burning passion of a thousand suns. Uh, yeah, it's and and all of that combined from the impression, unless there is just some guy underneath what we've seen of hype so far, unless there's just some sort of like evil version that we <laughs> haven't witnessed. I do not get the impression that that would happen. I think you think back to Kiffin. There were signs that oh, yeah. he would be that guy. I mean, Al Davis, Al Davis told us, even though yeah. Al Davis isn't the most trustworthy person, he was right on that. Kiffin's I went time. Back, I went back recently and read some of the reports from when all that happened because there was like a lawsuit that the Raiders filed. And I think Kiffin and Tennessee was kind of included in that lawsuit. It was basically that Kiffin had disparaged the Raiders and that, Tennessee had kind of abided by that by hiring him. And it might have even been at like a Tennessee press conference or something where Mike Hamilton and Kiffin said something out of the way about the Raiders. And Al Davis wrote a letter to Tennessee, and he said in the letter, this guy is going to destroy your program. He said, we have, the Raiders have always had great relationships with former Vols. Uh, Reggie McKenzie, you know, was, was there in personnel for a long time. Plenty of other players that have come through the Raiders organization. And David said, this guy's going to ruin your university. And I mean, he was right. Uh, It wasn't necessarily maybe on purpose, but what Kiffin's decision to leave is what has set this program back for so many years. I mean, that's what kicked off the whole, the Dooley years, which funneled into, you know, Butch and Pruitt. It really all started with Kiffin. Uh, Yeah, you're right. The signs were there and the signs aren't there with, Heupel. Uh, we haven't seen anything to suggest that he has that sort of malice in him. Yeah, it would be pretty shocking. Pretty shocking. You know, weirder, well, I would say weirder things have happened at Tennessee. It'd be right up there um, if that happened. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, nothing but, that weird has happened, you know, this, well, I would say this year, but the Pruitt stuff actually happened this calendar year. So weird. that's true. Uh, you know, Feels like so long ago now. Honestly, weirder things have have happened. Let's not oh, forget Shiano and the entire thing. Yeah. Weirder things have happened at Tennessee. But I can't I can't wait for Mike Gundy to somehow get involved with this coach coaching search at Oklahoma. Oh boy. Just because Oklahoma State guy, that it just seems like something he would do just to just to get some more money. I mean, at this point, he's the, this is his greatest season yeah. ever at, at Oklahoma really, State. He hasn't been named any like LSU. Oh, speaking of LSU, what are they doing? Oh I mean, yeah, <laughs> that is going south fast. <laughs> well, it's okay. The the craziest thing of this entire coaching carousel is you you already touched on it there. The big names aren't there. That's the craziest part. If if you move past Kiffin, which we're not totally sure. Is that just a pipe dream for whoever might want Kiffin, or is it realistic that he would leave Ole Miss at this point? I can't totally I think decide. He would, I think he would for LSU. Surely. I think I mean, he would be stupid to not leave for LSU. I think people would look him in the face and go, what are you thinking if he doesn't go to LSU? You're guaranteed a national championship there. Exactly. Ed Ogeron and Les Miles won. He, Kiffin's a way better coach than those two. With the kind of recruiter that he is and, and the really – you know, I I don't know what you would call it, more cutting edge sort of coach that he is, how he sort he's of innovated offenses. He's a great play caller. Yeah, he's 
That's a, a shoe in for a national title. If you got one with Orgeron and Les Miles and Nick Saban, you are definitely going to get one with uh, with Kiffin. I mean, I, you know, if he <laughs> if he comes to me in whatever universe that that happens and says I'm staying at Ole Miss over LSU, I would go, "What are you stupid? Are you yeah. dumb?" Why would you stay at Ole Miss over LSU? So that makes no sense that he would do that. This talk of Miami, I could see, but it seems unrealistic. Um, they say I, he's just been enamored with Miami always. It does. You know, he kind of has always had this reputation as sort of like a cocaine cowboy sort of dude. He would fit I in there. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he certainly fits the culture of, of Miami with just his general you know, weird bachelor who's a dad on the side kind of aura that he carries around. I mean, it really is, that's, right? Yeah, it, that's perfect. <laughs> that It is. Like, that's the way that that guy lives. I don't know how else to... Got the kids on the weekend, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm at the club on, on Thursday you, night and then the kids show up on Friday night, you know? This is kind of off topic, but did you see one of his kids posted a... I don't know if it was like a TikTok video or oh, Instagram... Yeah. Of him scared to death of heights. I saw this. They're on the second floor of a mall. And you know, most malls, they have like the little open areas where you look down. And he's like up against the wall. Like he's he's scared to go anywhere close to the rail on the second floor. Uh, that's unbelievable. You can't live in one of those high-rise condos in Miami if you're scared of heights. That's true. Well, I, yeah. I don't know what the deal is. And you there. know he'd have a he'd have a you know downtown home. He had, he had one in Tennessee, sure. right? So I mean he's yeah. yeah. Uh I I don't know if that was real. If it wasn't, he's a very good actor. I'll put it that way. I watched it a few times when I saw it. It came across on Twitter. I don't and I think like, he's a good this, actor. I think his Twitter persona is one thing, but when he's in front of a microphone, he always seems slightly awkward to me. Like he always seems this sort of off like he's it's hard to explain he never seems relaxed whenever he's talking and I don't know he's he's a strange guy in general and it's really crazy the way that he's kind of become famous just basically by deserting Tennessee and being terrible with the Raiders is the only reason that that he is who he is it he is uh with with Twitter he is almost like what I would want to be if I was a football coach on Twitter alone. His gen- his whole deal is not who I would want to be. If you, but like I, what I assume. So yesterday he posts this picture. Of, you know all of this talk around him where oh LSU should go get Kiffin, and he posts a picture of a car with a Louisiana license plate. What I assume probably happened is Louisiana obviously borders Mississippi, he probably passed a car with a Louisiana license plate in Oxford and was like, this would be funny yeah. if I posted this on Twitter. Because even even if he is getting interviewed for the LSU job, there's... Yeah, unless, zero chance. Yeah. yeah it, would he even be open. in Baton Rouge? You can do it over Zoom or whatever. No, you go to Dallas with it, running exactly. the Mike Gundy. And, Third location. Yeah. To throw off the plane tracker. Like, there's so many different things but that you could do. And he probably just an awesome car with a license plate and post that. And that's hilarious. That's really But if you're, if you're an Ole Miss fan, does that uh, piss you off? I mean, because yeah, imagine if Josh Heupel posted a license plate picture of an Oklahoma license plate right now. It would be Meltdown City. It would be 
Twitter would be unbearable, and I wouldn't blame fans. I, I can't. Ole Miss has to. Ole Miss isn't a destination job. It's not a place where you go to win a national championship. There aren't many of those jobs available, but LSU is one of those jobs. If LSU came hard after Kiffin, and all indications are that they're really not, um, that they they don't want to go down that road. I don't know if they're still in the Jimbo Fisher dream or what. I don't know. But if they went after Kiffin, there's little chance that Ole Miss could keep him from leaving. So if you're an Ole Miss fan, you have to be aware of that. You have to have some self-awareness there and know that Kiffin is probably going to leave Ole Miss at some point. If he keeps having success like this, like 10, maybe 11 wins in a year, yeah, somebody somebody in a bigger program is going to want him. We'll see. Because as I already said, I... Like, I don't know what to believe with the guy because he does things like we're, we're talking about with these posts on Twitter that are probably just being funny, but maybe he is actually in Louisiana and he's just that crazy. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what he would do, but I will say this. If he pops up and it says that he's, you know, it, you see tweets from these national guys saying he's going to be the next guy at LSU, I'd go like, hey. Good for LSU. It's a great hire. And I'm not surprised at all that he took that. And I'm not surprised that they wanted him. And surely with LSU with this AD, there was all that talk that he's the big name guy. He likes to get the big names. Who better? That's the hire right there. That's a home run. Every single one of your fans loves it. You're going to have just insane hype around him coming to town. You supposedly character wise, he's kind of a reformed person supposedly and I, I i i don't know i don't he's he's like an international man of mystery i don't know what to even think there as far as he goes uh but it would be a great hire on lsu i think that that's kind of the bottom line there uh you know if and if he passed up lsu what are you even doing why would you ever do that you will never win what you can win at lsu at old miss there's no way so with all of that said Wrapping all of that up before we keep going in circles on Lane Kiffin there. Um, I think Heupel will be Tennessee's coach come next year. What what say you, Zach, uh, from everything that we've said here? Seems like we might be on the same page there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he'll be the next coach. It doesn't really look like Oklahoma is really contacting him or, or trying to pursue him. Now, obviously, that could change very quickly, but... If you offer the job to Jeff Levy, there's no way he's turning it down. If you offer the job to Brent Venables, even though he is kind of resisted becoming a head coach, I'm not sure that's one he turns down either. I mean, Oklahoma is a place where it's fairly easy to succeed. So, I mean, I, I think Heichel will be the guy at Tennessee next year. I don't see anything changing. I do too. And and as far as those those jobs go... I I would bet that Oklahoma does have to dip down into the the coordinator pool because I don't think that they would get Kiffin. He would go to LSU or Miami first. Yeah, and or uh, he might just stay. He might not want to leave the SEC. Yeah, even though Oklahoma's moving to the SEC, he might he might be happy where he's at compared. That's true. To, to going to Oklahoma, uh, and then I don't think Heupel goes, and you, all those other like quote unquote big names 
Mel Tucker just signed a giant contract. Somehow James Franklin signed an extension too, which what is Penn State even thinking with that one? I don't know. It's one of no, his worst I mean, seasons ever this year. True, uh, but if you're look at the situation some of these other schools are in. If you fire James Franklin, what do you do? Yeah. It's I mean, tough. It, no, he's not he's gonna get you some ten, maybe eleven win seasons here and there. He's done it. And he's gonna have some seven and six seasons. What do you? Where do you go from? Where are you hoping to go from there? And well, where are any of these programs hoping to go from here? Is there a conversation to be had? And I feel like Franklin would fit into this category. Is there a conversation to be had with the events of this past weekend, where finally Harbaugh breaks through and beats Oklahoma, or Oklahoma, where he finally breaks through and beats Ohio State? Is there a conversation to be had that you stick by your guy even through bad seasons and it could well, it could eventually turn around? Now, I I say that meaning coaches who win 10 games in a season, 11 games in a season, and just can't make the playoff. Obviously, you got to fire Jeremy Pruitt. I and mean, you can't keep a three-win coach. That's obvious. But I'm talking per se. I mean, James Franklin is probably the biggest example of that he's probably the longest tenured kind of middling coach that's out there right now um and so is it just worth your time to keep that guy around and just hope he turns it around because it's not a total disaster even though it's not exactly where you want it to be and i mean and you even see sort of uh some of the trends now uh they're demoting essentially scott frost and taking some of his money and saying, if you don't get it fixed in a year, you're done. And they did it. Who, who it happened to somebody else too. Um, in, in the last few days. So like, that's becoming a thing. I can't remember who it was, but, um, that's becoming a thing now. So maybe there's a little rethinking going on of like, well, okay, we got a guy that win wins nine games. Let's not sail him down the river, but let's kind of give him a stern talking to, and see what he can do in the next two years. You know, maybe that becomes the thing that people start doing. Well, I think it has to be because you see how much trouble some of these programs have hiring hiring coaches. I mean, yeah, USC got Lincoln Raleigh. That's not what's typically happening. Florida hires Billy Napier, who seems like a good coach, but yeah. he's still an unknown. I mean, we've seen coaches like him go. Scott Frost is a very similar coach to Billy Napier, not going well at Nebraska. If you asked most people, most neutral fans at the end of 2020, you know, who would you rather have, Dan Mullen or Billy Napier? You, you'd have to say Mullen, right? He's coming off an SEC East win. He's led Florida to a couple of 10-win seasons. Did well at Mississippi State. Seems like he had some momentum. And then, you know, a couple months later, he's fired, and you're hiring Billy Napier, who hasn't proved anything at the Power 5 level, who has been fired before as the Clemson offensive coordinator right before they had their big run. I mean, there's there's red flags for all these guys that, that programs are looking at. I just think that this might be the coaching cycle, especially if LSU just really strikes out and ends up hiring someone like worse than Ed Ogeron. This could be the cycle that really changes the way people approach coaching searches because – it just the the guys just aren't out there. They 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 you. I mean, we know better than anyone because we've seen so many of these Tennessee coaching searches. There's not many niche savings out there. I mean, some situations like Mark Rick at Georgia, it was time. 
Georgia made a good move. They hired somebody that could recruit really well and bring a good staff, and Kirby Smart has taken the program up a step. Um, but, you know, most situations just – they're not doing that. You can't fire a guy two or three years in in most situations and expect the program to suddenly get better. It just – that cycle doesn't seem to work out. Yeah, it just – it feels like some new trends are forming in in terms of coaches and what ADs do. But here's some fresh <laughs> – some fresh gossip for you. Uh-oh. Uh, right here, in real time. This was at 4 o'clock. This is Billy Liucci at uh, – what's – who's he with? It's texags.com. So this is not, he's not a national reporter, but this is a guy who's, he's been around for a really long time. Uh, I've seen him a bunch. Just, you know, when you, when you kind of see, oh, we're playing Texas A&M next week. Like this is the guy that, uh, is, you know, that people bring on local radio to talk about it uh, in your market. He's one of those dudes. Um, so a Texas A&M reporter, so take it for what it's worth, but he said, most of the chatter I'm hearing since yesterday, this is 15 minutes ago surrounds Brian Kelly to LSU from Notre Dame. And and this is the one that I really wanted to bring up. I mean, Brian Kelly is interesting to LSU. That would be crazy. But this is the one, and we should have thought about this. How did we not think about this? This is the most obvious thing in the world to Oklahoma. Mark Stoops. Yeah. Oklahoma. Regardless of who, I'm convinced Woodward has his hire locked in. Uh, that's from Billy Luigi Again, Tex-Ags. Uh, Stu- I mean, Stoops. Stoops coming to play and coach, or is coming to coach alongside essentially his brother at Oklahoma. <laughs> I mean, that, that makes total sense to me. If it ends up not being Brent Venables, that's still a name that's well, really I mean, floating well, around. Well, but if if you're going to hire Brent Venables, you hire Mark Stoops over him any day of the week. I exactly, mean, Stoops right? Is, Stoops would be a good hire anywhere, really. He's done a great job at Kentucky. Um, Yeah, I mean, that... that should be number one on their list, really. Surely, because that it has to be over Venables. It makes sense with the Stoops name. I could see it now. The going, only thing there is you go, yeah. I don't know. You might be going this direction, but you go to a defensive first coach from a guy that's like a high flying offense. That's kind of a strange fit, I guess. I think it would be a bad hire. That's <laughs> where I was kind of going. I don't think that would be. I don't think anywhere that Mark Stoops goes, he's going to succeed all that much. I, I really don't. Because we had talked about him at Florida. I don't think he would have succeeded there. I don't think he will succeed when Oklahoma goes into the SEC. Just my personal opinion, I think he is the perfect fit at Kentucky. Like he, just be Rich Brooks, man, and just <laughs> just stick it out there as long Enjoy as you can. It, yeah. yeah, because you're they kiss your feet and with eight wins a year. Like that's a pretty sweet deal. Uh, but I don't know. I, I could see it. Now, Brian Kelly to LSU, that would be one. And who freaking knows who Notre Dame would hire if they have to hire a guy? That doesn't make oh, any sense uh, to me, though. Oh, that's Matt Campbell all day long. Oh, yeah. But, that, I mean, Brian, they're, they're, they're going to be in the playoff, right? You yeah, think? and he he's worked really hard to build that program to where it is right now. Exactly. He, he, he kind of went through it. He's one that went through a down period, went 4-8, and eight, I think, one year kind of fired most of his staff and, and kind of came back. He's one of the few coaches, I think, that was really on the hot seat that made huge staff changes and came back from it. Because most of the time, you make the huge staff changes one year, and then the next year you get fired. I mean, it's what happened with Ed Ogeron this year. It's probably what's going to happen with Scott Frost. And and Brian Kelly, I'm, I'm pretty sure, was right in that territory a couple of years ago. I think... I want to say he did. 2016 went four and eight, 
And then yeah. the very next year, 10 and three. So he really turned it around. And that's an anomaly in itself right there. But I mean, I think he'd do good at LSU for sure. It's an easy yeah. place to win. Yeah. I think he would. But I, I mean, he's, I think. I don't know. Maybe like he's been second, so close. Isn't he like he's the been... second winningest coach in Notre Dame history or something? Second or third? Of course, they've had like a lot of those, you know, Newt Rockney and guys like that. I think he's like right up there. That would be crazy if if he left. That that would be uh, a shocking one. But maybe you know they're they're flailing around at LSU and just grasping and he's got so, and he's false to it. I don't know. He's got so close to a national championship in Notre Dame and just keeps getting blown out in the playoff every time they make it. At some point, you got to say this isn't going to happen. Let's go to LSU and win one. I mean, I'm surprised LSU is having so much trouble finding a coach. Really, I. I I thought it would. I guess I shouldn't be. They they hired Ed Ogeron last time after they struck out on everybody that's else. True. It's not like he was their first choice. That's just, weird. Maybe there's a lot of politics down there. I don't know about. Maybe there is because it just seems like such a home run. Who wouldn't? You you're when you are installed, all you are doing is just hitting your head up against Alabama. That's what if you can beat Alabama, that's the yeah. whole thing. You're and you're there with Ed, Ed Ogeron is a terrible coach. I don't think we can. I mean, he was oh my awful at Ole Miss. He got lucky and got just the greatest offensive weapons of all time for a college football team in 2019. He lost those guys and it all fell apart. He cannot keep a team together. Uh, he loses the locker room as fast as anyone and then just makes it worse with the stuff he says and does. Ugh. He, uh, if that guy can win, I feel like me or you could go down there and probably come close. <laughs> Gen- genuinely, it is shocking. I, I don't, I don't know the place. Like we say this about Tennessee, and it's really only true to a certain extent. But at LSU, the place sells itself. You are surrounded on all sides by phenomenal talent from within the state from Texas, from Alabama, from Georgia. Huge, resource-rich program that has won multiple national championships in the modern era only a few years ago. I mean, come on. Hello, somebody. I don't I don't get it. That is as insane as anything. And we, like, when we say all of this, we haven't even talked about Florida. I think you mentioned it just a second ago. They hired Billy Napier. Not even totally sure what I think about that hire, but... There's outside of that, like you would think Florida is near that same stratosphere. They hire Napier. I kind of thought Napier was set up for the LSU job just because he was in Louisiana already. I think Florida, I think that was LSU's like ultimate fallback, fallback option. Like everything else mm-hmm. goes south. We got Napier. We can hire him and, you know, we'll see how it goes. I was really surprised when that was Florida's top option. I was, I was really concerned about. Lane Kiffin going to Florida. That was my nightmare scenario. I think he'd do really well there. I think it would all fall apart eventually because he's Kiffin and does some weird stuff. But playing him every year, having to go play against Kiffin in the swamp, I mean, that's... I I did not want that to happen at all. So, I viewed them hiring Napier as like, no, that's a win for Tennessee, I think. So, I, I was really surprised that that was like their number one guy. But I think they was like... We like him. Let's get him before LSU does. And they they kind of wrapped it up. I don't know, man. The I think that is probably pretty likely that they sort of lost their fallback 
now that maybe they're flailing around, who knows what kind of validity there is of that report that we just looked at. So we could pretty much speculate all day long as to where everything is going to go. Again, I think we are both of the uh, of the impression that Hypo will still be with Tennessee. Don't and if nothing else, don't worry till it becomes a problem. When you start seeing the report come out that he's uh, how is it usually phrased? A serious candidate, the leading candidate for the Oklahoma job or something like that. Don't even worry about it because don't let him beat you twice. If you worry about it now, then there you there yeah. you're just letting him beat you again because then you got to worry about it when it does happen. So really, the only tweets that you need to worry about are from the national guys on stuff like this. Local guys don't usually break, you know, hires for other programs. So. This is the the one time, the one three-week period uh, every year where I will forgive you for following Pete Thamel. Of, yeah, he's uh, usually the one that breaks most of this. Him, Bruce Feldman, yeah. Dan Walken doesn't break anything. I don't know what his point is. He's not really a reporter. He's just kind of a columnist, and it, I don't know what, what purpose he serves. Yeah, they're, they're all just grade-A clowns, but... For these three weeks, they do talk to agents and, and ADs constantly. And so they do have they have value for three weeks out of a year. So, okay, good for them. I do I do want to end uh, all this kind of on a positive note about Hypo because we've talked about all this speculation. I was looking at, you know, what's the biggest knock on Hypo so far this year, you think, that people have most consistently been concerned about with him? That's been that this short yardage play calling. The, well, I meant like out, like outside, just as a as a coach in general. I oh. would, I would go with recruiting, right? I mean, oh, well, the, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Tennessee, I didn't realize this. Till I was just looking it up. Tennessee has the number twenty eight class right now, 2022, right? Florida has the number thirty one ranked class. Oh. Auburn has the number thirty three ranked class, and oh. Ole Miss has the number thirty eight ranked class. I mean. It's, it's not like Hypo's alone in some of the like struggles with this class this year. I mean, that those Lane Kiffin supposed to be just the great recruiter. You know, he's at number thirty-eight in the country right now. Auburn, similar situations Tennessee, right? I mean, they really a better better situation in Tennessee. Brian Harson took over a better situation program that's not facing NCAA scrutiny. A uh, program that typically finishes higher in the recruiting rankings than Tennessee uh, in, in most years, and they're you know five spots below them right now. Florida going through a coaching change, but you know we're used to seeing them up there in the top ten, and they're in the thirties. That's kind of unusual too. So I, I don't think we should be giving Heupel too much grief right now over the recruiting. There's going to be a lot of shuffling around as far as that goes mm-hmm. uh, in, in the next few weeks. It'll be, I mean, I think even in the next few days, you're going to see some movement there. Um, uh, I will ask this before we go, just quickly. What ball game do you want to see Tennessee play in? I know I have my answer easily in this one, uh, but what what would you prefer for Tennessee's bowl game? A lot of options, seen a lot of stuff thrown out between the, the Gator Bowl, the Mayo Bowl, the Music City Bowl, and it's kind of been like, NC State, uh, Miami. Um, so, what what were some of the other big Virginia, teams? Virginia, oh, I, Big Ten, Wisconsin, yeah. Wisconsin. Although, yeah, because yeah, Wisconsin lost this weekend, 
So yeah, I wouldn't really want to play them. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, I I mean, I would go with the uh, the Duke's Mayo Bowl against Miami. I really like that matchup. They've played in Nash. They play in Nashville every year or every other year, and they play Vanderbilt. They played in the Music City Bowl in what 2016, 15, 16, a few years ago under Butch Jones. That's not, and and they played the Titan Stadium uh, when they played Bowling Green a few years ago, I think. So they they've played there a few times. They played in the Gator Bowl a couple years ago, I think, when they played maybe Northwestern or one of those Big Ten teams under under Butch. It might have been his last bowl game they played in the Gator Bowl. I think so. Yep. So I, the, you know, the Duke's Mayo Bowl would be something different. Still close by to Knoxville, so you'd have you know plenty. Plenty of people to travel to that game, drive, and should be a good turnout. Uh, plus the Duke's Mayo Bowl, they have a fun time with stuff on Twitter. I think that would be good for for social media for Tennessee. And just that matchup with Miami, I think that would be really fun. Just just a really unique I – can, I can be pretty nostalgic. I like looking back at, at old videos, old highlights, and just thinking back to better times. And, you know, maybe we can pretend that Tennessee-Miami is a BCS game <laughs> – <laughs> and uh, and kind of, oh. I think it would be a good atmosphere. Uh, it, that that would be my pick. Agreed. I I like that uh, that pick a lot. It would be really fun. Um, the only thing with it is that I think Tennessee probably will like blow them out. Because <laughs> first of all, I think there there's a decent chance Manny Diaz is not their coach in the next little bit. And depending on maybe maybe they do one of those deals where they go like. We don't have better options. We got to keep this guy around, maybe. But uh, well, yeah, Mario Cristobal would be their home run. Oh hire, man, I imagine. But and yeah. that would be a great hire on their part. And if they can get that guy, go right ahead. Uh, but I I could see that where it might end up being a boring game <laughs> if they're in dysfunction like that and ha- you know don't have their coach. The one that I want to see, by far, it's not even close. Is Penn State. I believe it would probably be the Gator Bowl. That's I've seen it a few different times in projections. You get to play James Franklin again, and you get a chance to beat James Franklin, and that would be so satisfying to be able to beat James Franklin. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. I think you get a nice... If you win, obviously, you got to win. It's going to be a really tough game. That's going to yeah. be a tough game. Penn State's decent. Um, the, depending on you know who plays, who might sit out for them, they have some good players. Um, and I just think it's a, a bigger sort of brand name win because they're a perennial top of the big 10 team. But the main thing is getting to beat James Franklin. (laughs) That's the one that I, I really want to see it. Miami would be super fun though. I, I am, I am with you there. That would be killer. Penn State would be fun because you, you would get to beat, the coach that looked like Tennessee's home run hire when they hired Heupel, right? Mm-hmm. That was the coach that everybody kind of centered on. We were tracking planes to uh, just Penn State and thought we had that nailed down. And then you've got the, you know, last time, last two times Vanderbilt or James Franklin played against Tennessee at Vanderbilt. He won, kind of had some snarky comments, so it would be pretty satisfying to, to beat him at a bigger, bigger job. That would set up nicely, I think, for Tennessee because in these bowl games, we've seen it with Alabama before. A lot of these teams that are they're kind of playoff contenders early in the year and then they fade and then they don't 
They don't have a strong finish. They're not that excited to play in the Gator Bowl. Whereas Tennessee, that's a big deal. I mean, you're back to a bowl game. You've played better than anyone thought. You really want to finish the season strong. Tennessee typically plays pretty well in bowl games. They have the last, I think they've won four in a row, four bowl games in a row now. I think it would be a game that they could win under those circumstances. It would be tough because Penn State's talented, but yeah, it would be pretty satisfying. I just kind of like the guaranteed win because I really want them to finish (laughs) eight and five. It looks so, I mean, it It would be better than Kiffin. It'd be better than Kiffin's first year. It would match Jeremy Pruitt's best year ever. Uh, you're, you're one win off of Tennessee's best year in, in almost 15 years. That would be pretty fun. It would be really nice. Uh, I am in agreement with you <laughs> on, on the wanting eight wins. It Just with Penn State, you get the eight wins, and you'd get the super gratifying that would be nice. win. If I, knew, if I knew that it was a win... If I knew they're winning this game, yeah, I would go. I would go with your your destination and opponent there. That is the only thing, and and you it just just for reference, like that Penn State team, they beat Auburn, who basically beat Alabama. They didn't beat Alabama, but they essentially yeah. had the lead until yeah. right at the end when they didn't. Um, and so the yeah, they're they're decent, and they would probably be favored, and you would have to play up and hey that's great but i do think you're right i think they would come in in a more hey we had a crappy season this is annoying kind of a way where tennessee would be like look at us back in the gator ball and that i think that's so much of the motivation in those games where you get upsets like ucf beating auburn and stuff like that is uh-huh. everybody tries to downplay that like oh we're not we don't have any they didn't come in lethargic or whatever yes they did it's okay to just say that the sec has teams that don't get up for bowl games it happens and i I think tennessee hopefully with heibel there would come in with major energy i gotta think so and we'll we'll know by this time next week at least for sure that's true and that's why i wanted to cover it because we'll we'll get to see if our our predictions come true maybe uh one of those comes to fruition the miami games feels more likely uh but we'll we'll see i mean the the projection that i saw of penn state was yesterday uh, in Sports Illustrated. So, well, I mean, those three bowls. I mean, Tennessee is a very attractive option. They sell tickets. Oh, yeah. uh, I think you're going to have those three bowls that we've mentioned. Kind of, they're all going to want Tennessee. So Tennessee might have their pick. So it's really going to be up to them. Do they want to go to Florida? They want to stay close to home. And I wonder, and I mention it all the time in the articles I write about uh, bowl projections. How big of an impact does it have in recruiting? Like, if you go play in Charlotte in a bowl game, if you go play in Memphis in a bowl game, does it really does that win you any favor with the recruit at all? I don't really see how it does, to be honest. <laughs> but I can't it's imagine. always mentioned. And well, it's also it's really late in the recruiting cycle too. Now, I guess we're we're talking specifically of like 2021 or 20, I guess at this point it'd be 2022 recruits. You're really late in the recruiting cycle. Obviously you could talk to the 2023 recruits uh, in that same way. And I, I doubt it moves the needle that I much outside of recruit. The, you're going to see Tennessee play anyway. Yeah. Whether I mean, it's I, I think or another sec program, <laughs> the only way that it would be huge in that way is if you got to play Clemson in the Mayo Bowl 
and then you beat Clemson. I mean, it's just that's a team that you go up constantly against in recruiting battles, and you've been losing a ton of them lately, or in the last, you know, going back to 2015, you've been losing a ton of recruiting battles to Clemson. And if you beat Clemson in the Carolinas, kind of on their, it wouldn't be their home turf, but it's closer to their home turf than it is to yours. That would be huge. But like Miami in the Mayo Bowl, I don't think that that's really moving the needle much at all outside of it just being like a fun, gratifying win. So, yeah, it's just it's a good time to have another football game to watch. I think that's my entire take on the on the bowl game. Glad Tennessee is finally back in it playing in the postseason. Got an, and, and really, the, I would say the most important thing, you get an entire other uh, month to practice an additional month to practice. And that's always oh, nice. Yeah. That's the biggest thing is those, uh, I guess, 15 extra practices of mm-hmm. 15, I think that they can hold. And Tennessee needs that. Every team needs that. Uh, you know, and, and it gives us something to talk about too. Heupel's here and talk to the media, uh, like he would during the regular season. Well, I assume he's going to, if, if he's still the coach at Tennessee, he, he will hopefully not <laughs> won't be an interim coach, but yeah it's always you just hate it when the season ends without a bowl game because it's late november it's still very much football season and it's just done and we've seen far too many of those years with tennessee where they're just all of a sudden not relevant or you you've got Derek dooley going radio silent for 36 days or whatever it was after tennessee lost to kentucky and they just it's it sucks you know you you want it to never end because it's college football i mean that's why it's, good, good times why we love it yeah i i don't this is a whole other conversation my computer's dying but i don't know that i've ever been as truly dejected and angry after a loss than i was with Dooley when he lost to kentucky because it ended the kentucky street it was like what 20 some uh, yeah. 20 plus years that you'd be in Kentucky in a row. And it truly solidified that Tennessee was like cooked. Uh-huh. And that I just remember, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. He did. He basically disappeared for like an entire month. Good times. Not until, not until signing day, I think, did he talk to the media again after yeah. that Kentucky loss? I think so. Poof. Oh, Derek Dooley. Because I, I mean, I remember raging and being like, get this guy out of Knoxville. You know, like, this is, an, this is an embarrassment. This is a shame. Fire this guy, please. We don't need him. And then by the time the season came back around in 2012, I was like, oh, we're going undefeated. <laughs> yeah, especially after the NC State game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The NC State game, I was like, this is a national championship team. This is over. Come and get us. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. That is yep. it. We'll talk about whatever happens. Uh, hopefully in this next episode, everyone will have a coach and we don't have to worry about any of this. Everyone will have a coach, including Tennessee having Josh Heupel as their coach. And we don't even have to worry about any of the repercussions there. Uh, and if he's not, that's going to be an interesting episode. I <laughs> Let's not speak it into existence. Um, Charlie Burris, that's Zach Reagan. A to Z sports.com for everything that we write and the A to Z sports podcast network feed on iTunes and Spotify rate review, subscribe over there. Subscribing being the most important thing so that you don't miss an episode. And thank you so much to everybody who's listening. It has been a huge season. Uh, now that we're wrapping up the regular season. Um, it has been a ton of fun. Going to turn our focus to basketball probably here in the ensuing weeks before the bowl game. That'll be a good time. 
otherwise, uh, Zach, well, I'll ask you any, any parting thoughts for the good folks. I didn't, I usually do that. And I didn't this time, anything else you want to throw in? No, I think, I think that about covers it. Let's just stay on, uh, on Lane Kiffin watch and see if he, see if he sticks around. This, and the coaching well. carousel, it's really getting us. We're, this is going to be, again, we are setting a record, our longest episode ever, I think, right here. We're, man, I gotta, I don't like doing this much work. We got to cut it down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much uh, for listening. That's it. And we'll talk to y'all next week. See you guys later.